This is 51 Days of Terror, the Seminal Heights serial killings, a News Channel 8 investigation. We poured through hundreds of pages of documents and hours of interviews to shed light on the victims and the people at the center of the case, all to answer one of the biggest questions, why? I'm your host, Amanda Shavari. This guy is not going to win. He's not taking over this neighborhood. He's not taking over these streets. You guys go hunt him down and bring his, bring his head to me. Mayor Buckhorn is speaking at a roll call for officers patrolling Seminole Heights. They're meeting at a park on the north side of the neighborhood. Officers are standing together in uneven rows. Like most of the officers, Mayor Buckhorn is wearing sunglasses. Instead of a uniform, he's wearing a white dress shirt with the sleeves rolled up and black pants. The mayor has white hair he keeps short and is a stocky guy. As you've probably guessed, he's angry right now. I was mad, and I didn't make any bones about it. And I wanted, um, I wanted the community to know, but I also wanted the bad guy to know that you're screwing with the wrong person, and we're going to hunt you down until we find you. We're talking to Mayor Buckhorn in his office a year later. And sure, I took some rhetorical liberties, um, and I didn't mean that they were going to bring me his head, um, but I meant um, we're not leaving until we catch you. And we're either going to catch you alive or we're going to catch you dead. And it really doesn't matter to me. The mayor knows some people may have taken offense to what he said, but he doesn't really care. He talked with grieving families of the victims. He's spoken to people in the neighborhoods who feared they or their children could be next. He thought vowing to catch a killer was the least he could do. Mayor Buckhorn is boisterous, friendly. He's definitely an extrovert. He's the type of person who can make anyone feel like he's their best friend, even if they just met him a few minutes ago. While he's friendly, you know he's the guy you don't want to mess with. You get the feeling he's a fierce protector of the people he cares about. And the people of Seminole Heights were on that list. When the mayor asks officers to bring him the killer's head, you'd probably expect some shock from the officers. Maybe some laughter, but they barely blink. Maybe they're just used to him by now. Like them, he's been in Seminole Heights day in and day out searching for the killer. And I'm a pretty hands-on mayor. Um, where my guys are, I'm going to be out there, and I'm going to be out front. And I'm not going to lead from back here behind my desk. Um, if they're out there on the streets, then I'm going to be out there on the streets too. Before we get into what the mayor was doing out in the streets of Seminole Heights, here's some background on him. First, he loves Tampa like really loves Tampa. He came here in 1982 with nothing but 300 bucks and his 1966 Dodge Dart. Being the mayor is the only job he's wanted his entire adult life. He was the assistant to the mayor in the late 80s, then served two terms on the city council. He was elected to mayor first in 2011. He ran and lost in 2003, by the way. He was reelected in 2015 for a second term. Mayor Buckhorn works a lot. He spends 12 to 14 hours in the office. Sometimes he'll work seven days a week. Somewhere in his schedule, he finds time to spend with his wife and his kids. He's one of those rare people who doesn't need much sleep, though. Just a few hours a night. He likes to know what's going on in his city. He literally has a police scanner at home so he can keep an ear out for crimes. It's not unusual to see him out and about in the community with no security detail, just checking in to see how things are going. When the killing started, Mayor Buckhorn just dug in deeper. He slept less, if at all. Eating was also optional. He listened to his police scanner all the time. By the way, he has one in his car, too. 
He spent hours a day just riding around Seminole Heights, listening to his scanner for news of any more shootings. He calls Southeast Seminole Heights the box because of the shape. It's a rectangular area flanked by Nebraska Avenue, Hillsborough Avenue, 15th Street, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. It's a little more than a mile long and just about a mile wide. It's where all of the victims were killed. I just, even to this day, I feel compelled to be in the box. Mm -hmm. And you'll find me on the weekends oftentimes driving through, you know, those streets, um, oftentimes going by the sites where the killings took place and just kind of remembering what those days and hours and nights were like. Um, On those rides through the box, Mayor Buckhorn would often pass someone who was also spending most of his days and nights in Seminole Heights, Chief Brian Dugan. We also speak to Chief Dugan a year after the murders, just a few days after sitting down with the mayor. The chief shaves his head bald. He wears glasses and thin wire frames. We're at the main police precinct in downtown Tampa, so he's wearing his uniform. While Mayor Buckhorn is this boisterous, extroverted guy, Police Chief Dugan is sort of the opposite. He's definitely friendly, but not boisterous. He seems quieter, more reserved. Not so reserved he can't do his job as a cop. If anything, his demeanor probably makes him more effective. You get the feeling his mind is working at all times, studying his surroundings, taking it all in, and making conclusions. You might think a man like this would be angry about Mayor Buckhorn's bring-me-his-head approach to the investigation, but he's not. That kind of, you know, took the spotlight, so to speak, and I get what the mayor was trying to do. He wanted to make sure that everybody was focused and that we bring this person to justice. For most of the investigation, Chief Dugan was interim chief. He wasn't officially named chief until November. He knew it would have been easy for Mayor Buckhorn to turn against him in those 51 days, to say he hadn't caught the killer because he wasn't fit for the job, to use him as a scapegoat and to bring in someone else for the top cop job. But the mayor never did that. He went the opposite route. We had so many murders, you know, three within 10 days, and I would do press conferences and all this stuff, and it was just kind of your... I guess the upside for me was I didn't have enough time to think about it. It was just thrown, thrown out there. Um, I would do press conferences by myself. It was the loneliest time of my life. And then one day I looked to my left and there's Bob Buckhorn with me. And he's never left my side since then. And I have grown a tremendous amount of loyalty to him. Because Their bond wasn't the only one forged during the investigation. When we speak to the chief, he's planning to stop by a Christmas party in Seminole Heights. In the past year, the neighborhood has embraced him as one of their own. They often see him walking around, visiting the memorials for the victims, speaking to the families who've lost their loved ones. He'd answer their questions at the community meetings and listen to their concerns. Like Buckhorn, they never tried to blame him for what was happening or push for someone else to be named police chief. They respected him. They rallied around him and his officers. Even family members of the victims we spoke to had nothing but kind things to say about him. It's probably because in their darkest moments, when they feared for their lives, he did whatever it took to make them and their children feel safe. Mayor Buckhorn's famous bring me his head moment overshadowed a question someone asked the chief about Halloween. Would it be canceled? The adults in Seminole Heights weren't the only ones living in fear. The children were also afraid, too afraid to even go out trick-or-treating. 
The chief didn't like hearing that. You know, I was just devastated to hear that kids would be afraid and that they would cancel Halloween. And it just came to me and I said, I'll tell you what, who's ever scared, come walk with me and I'll go trick-or-treating with you. And it was a truly genuine moment. It just kind of came into my mind and we put something together rapidly because Halloween was just a few days away. This is day 23. We wanted to, uh, to be out here to make sure that these little people that are out here tonight, these kids, had a safe and a happy Halloween and the memories of this Halloween are even more special in spite of what's going on out here. Mayor Buckhorn is still wearing his trademark slacks and dress shirt, but he's also wearing a casual black jacket tonight. He thanks the neighborhood for coming out. He gives a shout out to the Tampa Police Department. He introduces a few local celebrities. WWE superstar Titus O'Neil, Tampa Bay Lightning player JT Brown, and Tampa Bay Rays player Chris Archer. The police chief and the head of the Neighborhood Association speak. They thank families for standing out there, and there are dozens of them. It's time for trick-or-treating. You don't have to tell the kids twice. They're heading out in their costumes. Princesses, minions, ninja turtles, vampires, dinosaurs, witches, cowboys. We wanted to make sure that those kids in that neighborhood had a Halloween. Even if all of us were carrying guns, they were going to have a safe holiday. Law enforcement are walking all around the families as they head down the street, creating a perimeter of safety. There are mounted police officers on horses. Motorcycle units are keeping watch. The increased police presence could make it feel scary, but somehow it doesn't. There's a jovial mood. The kids are happy, content. It's a bright spot in these tense days. Just a few hours for families to forget about the fear and have a little fun. As the search for the killer continues, police aren't the only ones patrolling the streets of Seminole Heights. There's a watchdog group called The Guardians. Every night, up to 40 men and women are walking the streets. They all wear red beret hats, some with pins on them. They have white shirts that say guardian angels in red. There's an all-seeing eye in the middle with wings on either side of it. Also in the middle, safety patrol written in black. Guardian Angels is a national organization with chapters all across the U.S. The red hats and shirts are part of the uniform. They are unarmed. They walk around just to make people feel safer. It's like someone is looking out for them. For the people in Seminole Heights, they were willing to go above and beyond the call of duty. And if they are scared to go to the grocery store or to church or whatever, we're here. We'll walk them, you know, we'll walk them to, from A to B and ensure their safety. We see this a lot in Seminole Heights, the community banding together to make others feel safer and connected. There's a group that goes out together to walk their dogs. Someone comes up with a t-shirt to raise money for the victim's families. A business owner puts up a mural outside his building with photos of the victims on it. There aren't a lot of positives in those 51 days for Chief Dugan. Seeing how the community came together is one of them. While the chief was doing his best to help the Seminole Heights community maintain some normalcy, he was still dealing with the big question, how would they find a serial killer? For Chief Dugan, it was all in the details. He needed to keep everyone focused on finding big clues in little things. We started meeting every day at 9 o'clock, and then on Saturdays and Sundays, we would meet at 9.30. 
They'd go over the case details. They'd go over the tips. They ended up getting 5,000 tips in total by the end of the investigation. Then they'd look at where they were in that investigation by counting the days between murders. You know, it was a Monday, a Wednesday, two days later, and then there was 10-day gap between the first murder, and you start counting, and there was a 26-day gap between the third and fourth. And it was, and it was the 45th day from the very first murder. So you're, you're, you're tracking every little thing you can possibly think of to see if, is there a pattern, is there a trend? And then every day the meeting would start off, and I would ask them, okay, what day are we at? This wasn't just a routine investigation for the chief. There's no doubt he'd do his best to solve any case, but this one was personal. He was going to funerals for victim after victim. He had to watch how the killer's actions were putting families through unimaginable suffering. They were pleading with him to find who was responsible, to bring that person to justice. They were counting on him, and he didn't want to let them down. As they investigated, the neighborhood was going through changes. More lights were put up. Mayor Buckhorn had all of the overgrown shrubbery and trees cut back so that lights could better illuminate the streets. He made sure all of the abandoned houses in the area were boarded up. By this time, he had also promoted Chief Dugan. There was no fanfare, no big press conference, no rousing speeches on his 27-year career with the Tampa Police Department, no compliments on what a great husband and father he is. The chief didn't want any of that. He wanted the attention where he thought it belonged, on catching a killer. morning at about 4.51 this morning, we received a call about shots fired from the, from the neighborhood. Our officers responded within seconds. Our victim, unfortunately, he was crossing the street on Nebraska Avenue in the area of Wilder in Nebraska. His name is Ronald Felton, age 60. Someone came up from behind and shot him. He was left in the street. Day 37. The Seminole Heights serial killer takes another life. But this time, there's a witness. Next on 51 Days of Terror. 51, I got a mail down the middle street, uh, Nebraska. The shooter ran east. To be shot four times at close range. Yes. That's hard. And my biggest concern is that he was going to kill a police officer. When the devil know that you, that the Lord has you now, then he come at you a little harder, a little stronger. Fifty One Days of Terror is hosted by me, Amanda Shivari. It is written and executive produced by Brianti Downing. Kelly Hatton is our associate producer. Editing by Dallas Cotton. Heather Monahan is our digital producer. Tim Price is our digital editor. Additional reporting done by Brianti Downing and me. Thank you to everyone who talked to us about the investigation and especially the victims. We're honored to tell their stories.